0: I'd like to give a 1A and 1B. Uh, 1A is write the vision down. Please, please, please don't just have it in your head. Uh, There's an old adage from about 3,500 years ago that says, write the vision down so that those who read it may run. And the first person that needs to read it is yourself and a constant reminder of where I'm headed because there are going to be so many squirrels and profitable distractions that are in front of you taking away from that singular focus of where you need to head and the people you need to serve. Seth Godin said it like this. He said, we need you to serve us. But if you're distracted, then you're not available to serve us with the skill set that you have. So please, the vision that you see, write it down so that all of us and yourself can read it and run. So I think that'd be number one. And number two is do the hard work of getting in front of people. Don't try to outsource your marketing from the get-go. Get out in front of people because there's greater value than just the marketing. You're going to start refining your message and listening to your direct client and customer audience.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Evan Miller, a serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now, today we've got another great guest on the podcast, Scott Beebe. And uh, Scott started his uh, journey and uh, going out or going to the University of uh, Southern uh, South Carolina. Um, and uh, then uh, went, to, went on from that to study in the seminary, and then uh, became a telemarketer, and then went into pharmaceutical sales for a period of time. Um, and then from there, went into being a pastor, and then went back into being in business. And then uh, March, uh, in the March of 2015, the business that he was working on had a board meltdown and fell apart a bit. And uh, that led to a bit of what he's doing today with the coaching business and helping people find work-life balance. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Scott.
0: Devin, thanks so much. Appreciate you having me.
1: Absolutely. Excited to have you here. So so uh, with that, there, I kind of gave a 30-second uh, version to a much longer journey. Or journey. So why don't we uh, rewind and unpack that a bit and tell us a little bit uh, about how your journey got started um, uh, going off to uh, University of South Carolina.
0: Yeah. So I actually grew up all over the country, uh, East Coast, Texas, Oregon, back to the East Coast and then ended up at the University of South Carolina, studied there, wanted to do a little bit more uh, disciplined rigor uh, just around aspects of my faith and that sort of thing. So that's what led to theology and seminary uh, and the divinity degree. So graduated there, but I worked in business while I was in seminary, really loved business, Uh, really had no desire to go into vocational ministry work after seminary, just wanted to do the study side of it. And then, uh, so that's where worked into pharmaceuticals, and then it was this back and forth of faith and work. And I felt really uh, well satisfied in my work, but not so much in the faith side. And so then I went to be on staff at a church. Thought that might solve so just, it.
1: Or slowing down just a bit, just unpack a little bit more, rewinding this a little bit. So you went into walk or walk me through a little bit more. You were in college or studying degree, and then you went into seminary. It's not. And a, a a typical path that people are pursue on both fronts. So how did yeah. you kind of, how did you balance that, or what? Or walk us through a little bit more of that decision as to how to, to go into kind of both sides of that.
0: Yeah, fragmented blueprint for sure to to get uh, to where I've gotten. I Had a mentor at university who just really really pushed me in growing in my faith. And so I know a lot of the people that I went to seminary with, they were on a sort of a career path as well of vocational ministry. But for me. It was really more of a disciplined study of these things that I had had a faith and conviction of things that I just hadn't seen before, obviously. Um, and yet I wanted to be surrounded in an environment that held some discipline in place so that I could continue to grow in that world. I also realized while I was in that world, Devin, it was very much a bubble. There's you know its own lingo, its own language, its own culture. And the culture that I really resonated with was a culture outside of that. So while I wanted to understand what was happening in that microcosm, I also very much wanted to be a part of the macro element of that. Uh, And that's where I feel like we've had the most uh, uniqueness, the most value, all of those things is to be able to take the faith that we've got in the micro and sort of work it out in the macro uh, of what we're working in.
1: No, makes makes good sense. Sounds like it was a good path for you. So now, so you say, okay, I went to or college, also went to seminary. You came out, and then I think you uh, mentioned that you started working uh, telemarketing and sales and those type of. Uh, things. Yeah,
0: so I was doing telemarketing while I was in uh, seminary. So that was uh, that was it, it was great. I know there's plenty of cliche jokes around telemarketing that sort of thing. Most of them are true, by the way. Um, But I will tell you, there were a lot of disciplines that that developed. You hear that when you talk to people about timeshare sales or selling books or vacuum cleaners door to door. It just develops these, these tactics, these habits. And so a lot of that got developed through the rawness of talking to CPAs and attorneys on the phone all day long. We had reference materials that we were selling uh, to those service based industries. And so I got to work in that. And then outside, I while I was at University of South Carolina I played football. And uh, well, I think all of the coaching staff that I played under was fired a couple of years after we left. And so my position coach had left football altogether and gone to work for Pfizer in uh, in sales. And so that was sort of my relational connection there that I then began to work that channel and got a job selling for Pfizer. So then it was sort of a batting back and forth between uh big multinational global corporation, small uh, faith-based nonprofits, back to a big multinational, then to a really, really small nonprofit, and then to our own business in 2015
1: now unpacking that just a little bit just because that was a long journey that uh, was packed into a short period so went into pharmaceutical sales and then I think you said you did go into doing a, being a pastor or going into doing a bit more of up ministry for a period of time what kind of caused that transition or that shift
0: yeah so that's where I'll go back and say there was an internal battle that I'd, I'd grown up under mentorship that said hey there's a way to merge your faith in your work not in a way that we've seen, uh, sort of in an American past of 1980s, 90s, and 2000s, where we well, you know, wear faith-based lapels or anything like that. Nothing like that. Right. Um, what I wanted to be able to do was to take these uh, these convictions, these values that I had, which were really values for the benefit of other people uh, in our faith tradition. That's what it teaches: is uh, we're not here to to build ourselves and to just grow ourselves. We're here to to bring value to other people. And so, during that time. We wanted to be able to do that, and I was spending all of this time in business, and yet I didn't feel like there was any integration of my faith. And so, in my mind, I was like, "Well, let's go into more faith-centered work and see if we can sort of bring all of that in." But there was a there was a big glitch in that. Devin, while there were plenty of people who would share a lot of different uh, you know, sort of close to the best things with me as a pastor, there were also a lot of people that would hold things back when they were around a pastor. And so all of a sudden they would, they would say certain things. And then, and then the next day when you were in a faith vocation, they would not say certain things. And so you started to realize there was this veil that was happening. And although I'm in this faith centered work, uh, for the majority of my time, where I'm supposed to be really deep diving with people, there's a there's a huge part of themselves that they're holding back from me because they feel like they got to live a certain way based on the profession of what I represent.
1: Hmm. So it makes sense. And so now, so as you're going through that, how long did you or kind of or did you or were you in the faith base doing the pastoral work and or how long did you, or what period of time was that?
0: Yeah. So seminary three years, then I worked for Pfizer for about two years. And then I went and I was on staff at a church and then started and planted a church. when I was the lead pastor of that. So that season was about five and a half, six years. Um, and then once that wrapped up, uh, because about 20% of that work, I really enjoyed about 80%. I realized, God, this is not for me, uh, which sounds really crazy. But when we left that in 2007, it then led to a season of, uh, of going back and working for Pfizer. So I was back with Pfizer for about six, seven years uh, doing that. And, you know, w- w- this is the time of we're raising kids. We're right in the middle of little league years and all of those sorts of things. And it's also really important to understand I did not grow up in the home of an entrepreneur. I grew up in the home of an engineer. And so everything was black and white. Everything was corporate based. Uh, so drawing paycheck um, uh, to where you had fixed income, basically. I mean, you could grow and in, uh, in certain ways with maybe some bonuses or you could grow with some, um, some salary increases or whatever. But fundamentally, this idea of the entrepreneur being able to go generate new income, I, I didn't grow up in that environment. And so it took me until I was 39 years old to really dive into this world. And quite frankly, Devin, I didn't dive in, I got pushed in uh, or I got pushed out. And then I had to decide what I wanted to be pushed into by being pushed out of.
1: So walk us through, how did you get pushed out or kind of what was that? I assume that might've been uh, with the company when they had the board melt down and things fell apart, yeah. but maybe walk us through a little bit of first, what how, what transpired to push out and then how'd you figure out what you're going to do once, uh, what, once that occurred?
0: Yeah. So you got to understand too, small nonprofit organization, about a half million, six dollars annual organization. So very, very small. Uh, working both in Nigeria and in the U.S. And so I was U.S.-based, but traveling back and forth to Nigeria a lot. And I was the international director directly reporting to the board. And what was happening is there were some board dynamics at play, which I learned a lot about board leadership, by the way, through this whole experience. There were some board dynamics at play where certain messages were being delivered by me as the international director from on the ground Two members of the board, and then those messages were not being picked up and then broadcast to the board, and so there was a lot of veiling that was happening. And then there were a couple of situations that happened really outside of my control that a lot of this information started to come out. And these weren't these weren't damning things; these were just things that needed to be fixed in the organization. I was doing starting to do audit work and that sort of thing, and mm-hmm. so bringing this. The majority of the board realized, wait a second, we've been in the dark on a lot of these things, not just at the time Scott's been here, but for years. And many of these board members uh, were founding members of the board 10 and 12 years prior, and they were not privy to a lot of this information that they were unaware of. And to be fair, it was eight of the nine board members that were unaware. So it was quite the majority. And so what they ended up doing in a very, very long story made short over a period of months uh, was they ended up in February 27th of 2015 All resigning, eight of the nine board members resigned on the spot that day. And uh, so they came in, they actually brought me back in to their meeting and sought my advice. Hey, what do you think we should do based on this information that we have now? And so we walked through a series of three or four different options, and none of them were good. Uh, And the majority of them, uh, in terms of my position, meant the dissolution of my role. Uh, at the organization, clearly, because there was a lot of things that I wasn't going to be able to affect based on my role and not being a board member. And so they decided to dissolve my role and eight of those nine folks resigned that day. And so we had a few months of a runway and that was on a Friday and Devin on that Monday, I called two of my friends, both were entrepreneurs, both had businesses locally, and they knew that I was doing a lot of coaching training around my own team and background with Pfizer and all this stuff. And so I called them that next Monday, three days later, and I told them I was going to start a business, uh, coaching business owners, and I wanted to coach both of them. And they asked, what was I going to coach on? I said, I don't know. What do you need? And uh, through a series of conversations, I built some vision, mission, values, workshop, which is now expanded into our full scope, what we call our installation roadmap. And it's a proprietary process to work business owners through the back end of their business, both their purpose, their process, their people, and their profit.
1: No, it sounds like it was a good no, Now, why are just uh, diving out a bit? So when, as things kind of melted down, as you know, kind of had to navigate through that and figure out what you're going to do. How did you come to okay, I'm going to go into coaching, or that's kind of the next direction, or you know, kind of what uh, what to put you or push you in that direction?
0: I've been listening to a uh, a guy named Dan Miller's got a great podcast, and Dan had always said if you'd been asked the same question three times, you need to think about turning it into a business. And so I was constantly being asked by my friends who are entrepreneurs uh, about insight on running a business. And I'm not quite sure why they would ask me around those sorts of things because I'd never been an entrepreneur myself but they knew my background in organizational leadership and with Pfizer and, and these nonprofits and all that. So I think they were trying to get some perspective. And when that perspective came, I had a dear friend of mine who is an entrepreneur, he's a civil engineer. And he told me this one day, Devin, and it was about a year prior to this. He told me this, he said, Scott, you help me see things I can't see. You help me see things I cannot see. And so that was a little nod to me and a little trigger for me to go, wait a second, I I think I do have a skill set here to be able to bring perspective. And lo and behold, I do. I'm not good at much, Devin, but I'm really, really good uh, being able to give perspective to business owners and help them understand the methodology of business.
1: Hmm. So now how do you, so you take that, okay, you know, people are saying, you're asking the questions, you're able to provide people maybe the insights that, uh, you know, a lot of people overlook or don't realize. Now, how did you take that kind of concept or idea and actually build it into a business or kind of walk us through a little bit of that process to how you got that started?
0: The good news is the product we deliver is actually the product of building a business. And so I could take the product we're delivering and immediately roll it into my own business to help it grow. So I was sort of taking my advice working it into my own business, which we still do today. And then as I started to coach business owners through situational things, Devin, I started to understand, wait a second, there's a system. A business is an organism, just like a body is an organism. And a body is broken down. I think it's 11 or 12 different systems, the skeletal, the the cardiovascular. So all of these different systems. And although every human being on earth is fundamentally different, foundationally in terms of systems, we're all the same. We have exactly the same systems. So it helps us to understand that in business, there's got to be a core set of systems. Turns out there's four uh, in this order, marketing, sales, operations, administration. So every business has four of those. And so as we started to uncover what those systems were by doing autopsies of existing businesses, if I could follow the medical uh, metaphor here, then we started to pull those things out and build modules and tools that would be able to support the small business owners between two and 50 employees, to start building out these systems and really articulating what already exists, documenting those, and then proactively training them over and over and over again to their teams.
1: Now you see it makes perfect sense. And so you start to build out the business, start to get those systems in place or take your own advice, so to speak. And that, as you're building out your own business now walks you kind of over what period of time that it, You know, did you get it in place and then did it take off and it was a rocket ship and money was raining down from the sky, you were teetering around the verge of bankruptcy never knowing how you're going to make the next paycheck or somewhere in the middle but walk us through a little bit as to how that evolved and how that grew.
0: Yeah. Good news about our business. We're service based. We have no cost of goods. Um, So every dollar that comes in is a dollar we need to decide what to do with it. And it does not go back out to partners and vendors and subcontractors and that sort of thing. So at least that was one little thing that we had. Also, we made a decision that we were not going to grow this by debt. We were just going to grow it. Uh, sort of one client at a time. And so we started to maneuver back and forth. Obviously got to deal with pricing and figure out what that's worth. And so you talk to business owners and just ask them. I would say this, Devin, as we grew, the biggest asset and insight for us was the people we were serving. And so our clients that we were serving, we would just simply ask them questions because we had developed trust and said, hey, can can I ask you a very honest question about pricing? I feel like this is too low. I feel like this is too high, but somewhere in the middle, this range here, can you help me identify that? And what we found is people were kind enough and generous enough to trust us that if they told us what those numbers were, that we would honor them with that. And so we did. We started to do it. And then, once we had the number, we would back in the value and start to pack the value in there. And so uh, we're not um, we're, we're we're not dollars and cents coaches. we don't we don't peg kind of like a lot of times, no offense, but a lot of attorneys, CPA, that sort of thing. You nickel know, nickel and dimey for for emails and all those sorts of. We did not want to do that. We wanted to have one fee, and within that fee, we would continue to value stack. And so that's how we started to build it. And so we've never been in a place, where we're we're looking, where we're desperate for the next receivable. Um, And then with that, when we take the cash that we have, we follow the profit first subdivided bank account methodology. And so we're able to take every dollar that comes in, carve that up and start to sock it away in different bank accounts. Does that mean that we're just living uh, high on the hog? No, we reinvest a lot. And so we've grown from just me in 2015 to now we have a team of nine, all W-2 employees except one, but we will not do any more 1099s moving forward. And so with that team of W2s, that's required a lot of reinvestment back into people and infrastructure and content as well.
1: Yeah, sounds like it was a good growth, good trajectory and uh, figured out a lot of uh, great systems and uh, things along the way. So so now catch us up. Where's that you, you started to dive into, it, but where's the business at today kind of, and where do you see things uh, headed in the next six to 12 months?
0: Yeah. As I mentioned, nine uh, full-time employees, five full-time business coaches uh, who spend their uh, their weeks coaching business owners every single day. And then we've got a support team around that. And so currently, we uh, our, our team of nine serves 84 clients around the country, around North America. Uh, about 81% of those clients are in the construction, architecture, and engineering space. Uh, but then we've got 19% of our, our client base that is, is served both service-based and product-based businesses outside of that, from retail to doctor's offices, law firms, um, and, and and everywhere in between. But the gist of who we serve is usually between 2 and 50 employees, or at least that's where we start serving them. And then we've got plenty of businesses that have grown beyond that, but usually that's our sweet spot there. And how we're doing that. So that's where we're at today. Where we're headed in our vision. We do a vision day every two months, where I read through the vision story that we actually have written down. And so the vision that we see is eight coaches with a team of fourteen total, serving one hundred and twenty clients around North America.
1: Oh, that's awesome! Sounds like it's going to be a great uh, few or great uh, a few months ahead, or a year ahead, as well as uh, it's been a great journey up until this point. So definitely, it has. It's always an exciting place to be. With that, now as we uh, start to wrap towards the end of the, the podcast, as we've kind of reached the present day of your journey, you always like to wrap up with the same two questions, so we're going to jump to those now. So the first question I always like to ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? What did you learn from it?
0: Yeah, I I, I love the fact that, uh, that you would ask the question because I think it's important for us to reflect on those things. Uh, it, it, this is one of those that I will say is one of the worst that we decided to do, and yet at the same time, clearly you learn from these sorts of things. Here's what we found out from a marketing standpoint. Now we're an in the end of one, so I, I don't want to create this as a broadcast statement for everybody and say this is true for everybody, but for us. It was, it was not a smart decision for us. And that was trying to go into and looking at marketing from an, a, from an aspect of, hey, if we could just turn on a faucet somewhere, and then we could pay some money into social media machines to turn that faucet on, and then we could just sort of mailbox money the business from there on out. We realized that unless you're willing to spend significant amounts of capital and have significant back-end digital systems in place... In our world, that is a faulty setup. And so we actually use the number with our business owners. Unless you're willing to spend about $10,000 a month on paid advertising, then it probably shouldn't be your dominant strategy. And our dominant strategy, we've learned over time, is uh, is pretty difficult. It's face-to-face getting on stages in front of real-life people who look just like the people that we want to serve. Speaking engagements, workshops, uh, podcasts, things like this where we can get in front of people, share our story, share our methodology, and really share true stories of how uh, we've liberated business owners from chaos. So I think we've probably dumped a few deca, thousands of dollars into the paid marketing. For us, it wasn't smart. And so now what we do is we follow a methodology called They Ask, You Answer. And of course, we do social media, uh, but most of it is organic. And we call it uh, air support to our ground game. So our ground game is getting in front of people. And the social media strategy is air support. So that it'll help our credibility because people will naturally look you up after they meet you in person.
1: No, I think that's uh, definitely a a good uh, mistake to learn from. That's a hard one. I think everybody, you know, everybody has the idea that you get into paid marketing and it's the secret sauce and all you have to do is go spend a little bit of ads and everybody will be a wild success. And then you get into that. And sometimes it works great for some businesses and other times it doesn't. And sometimes it works great for one business and not for another. And you can sometimes burn a lot of money there and not have a lot of re- or reward. And other times you get a lot of reward for the spend and you have to find that balance as to which one is uh, the one that works right for your approach, your industry and, and for your business. So I, I think it's a, a great, uh, Great uh, mistake to learn from. Second question now that I'd like to ask you, is, so now if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you give them?
0: Hmm. I'd like to give a 1A and 1B. Uh, 1A is write the vision down. Please, please, please don't just have it in your head. Uh, there's an old adage from about 3,500 years ago that says write the vision down so that those who read it may run. And the first person that needs to read it is yourself and in a constant reminder of where I'm headed because there are gonna be so many squirrels and profitable distractions that are in front of you taking away from that singular focus of where you need to head and the people you need to serve. Seth Godin said it like this. He said, we need you to serve us. But if you're distracted, then you're not available to serve us with the skill set that you have. So please, the vision that you see, write it down so that all of us and yourself can read it and run. So I think that'd be number one. And number two is, do the hard work of getting in front of people. Don't try to outsource your marketing from the get-go. Get out in front of people because there's greater value than just the marketing. You're gonna start refining your message and listening to your direct client and customer audience. So don't try to outsource that at the beginning. You get out, you get in front of people. And then when you've got that vision written down, you've got great clarity on the message that you're refining over and over and over again.
1: No, I think that's uh, definitely a great uh, 1A and 1B uh, piece of advice and some uh, great takeaways. So, Well, now as we uh, do wrap up the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more?
0: Certainly, yeah. Uh, Two two areas on our website. Number one, if you go to mybusinessonpurpose.com, forward slash healthy. So mybusinessonpurpose.com forward slash healthy. You can take a five-minute healthy business assessment so we actually want to just give value uh, you can come to our website see what's going on uh, we've got a lot on there to do but if you start with with that with the healthy assessment then you can actually get a metric value of the back end health of your business and if you want to connect go to mybusinessonpurpose.com forward slash contact and we'll follow right back up with you and just have a chat no strings attached uh, and we'll just talk about you and your business and see where you're at see what we might be able to do to help
1: Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out and support a great business, make a new connection. If nothing else, make a new best friend. So with that, thank you again, Scott, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now for all the other listeners that are out there, if you have your own journey to share and you'd like to be guests on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So just go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. A couple more things as listeners, make sure to click share, subscribe, leave us a review, helps us to reach even more startups and small businesses to help them along their journey to success. And on that note, if uh, along your journey you ever need help with patents or trademarks or anything else through your startup or your small business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Well, thank you again, Scott, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last.
0: Thanks, Devin.